Welcome to part three of the beginning of KNON, an interview with Wade Rathke by Dave Chaos. In this final part, you'll hear about the legendary White House of East Dallas, more on the artichoke, some of the people there at the beginning of the Voice of the People, and more. Who came up with the Voice of the People as a slogan? I'm sure, I'm sure we have always used it as a way to, to encapsulate what the mission of the station was. We were going to be a voice for everybody, but mainly for people who hadn't had a voice. And that was sort of opposite of what KCHU had been. KCHU was a voice for everybody. We specifically wanted to be a voice for low and moderate income families who were left out of the mainstream of either commercial radio, certainly, or community radio at that time. Um, and this was controversial. I mean, the NCFB crowd and National Community Federation of Broadcasters totally opposed us doing WMNF or KBF or KNON. I mean, because we were seen as a political organization and you were supposed to be apolitical. You were supposed to be just the voice of everybody, not the voice of the people. Um, and now, you know, now, 30 years later, I mean, that's all sort of, you know, a different world. I mean, we're, they used to say the one thing about the FCC is it's hard to get a license and it's also hard to lose a license. You know, the FCC protects you once you're in. Well, the same thing could be said for NCFB or MFCB, whatever it is, or any of the ones surviving in this. I mean, we never wanted to make these stations just an acorn voice, um, which is what they were afraid of. We wanted to be a voice that did care specifically about underserved communities in radio. And that was what, I mean, we ended up walking away from WMNF because it decided it wanted to be an alternative station, not a voice of the people station. It didn't want to have special programming that gave a voice to the voiceless. It wanted to be just popular. Um, so we built it uh, from scratch and spent every dime and whatever and, you know, um, didn't continue to manage or control that station at all and walked away from it. Well, the it. voice of the people really says it and that, that Absolutely. voice is, can be expressed through music, through talk, through... It, it's important through events. to have that outlet, through yeah. events, through I mean, organizing. It's a, it's a, it was a... It was a social media before there was social media, as we understand it. And that's a way you can use radio. The other thing that really sort of sold me on community radio back in the early conversation with Lorenzo is they had a, a show. Because at the heart, I'm still an organizer, as you know. And that's what I do, and that's how I came to this, and that's how I'll leave it. There was a show on Sunday mornings called the Jewish Music Hour, which went for an hour or two on KCHU. And... This guy played music that was eclectic and with his interest. And um, one time, he, at the end of his show, said, hey, you know, when the show's over at 11 or 10 or whatever it is, I'm going to XYZ Bagel Shop in, you know, somewhere in East Dallas, because the, the studio was over in East Dallas. So any of y'all who are listening want to come join me there, you know, I'll see you there. And something like 500 people showed up. Well, and maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it was only 200. But whatever it was, you know, a light went off to me that said, okay, if, 
if you can, you know, I know how hard it is to pull 200 people, 300 people, 500 people. If you can pull people out on, from the radio, that adds to what we can do. And we did a lot of tests in running KNON in the very beginning. If we were going to do a, a hearing at city council and ACORN could pull 100 people on a, like a living wage ordinance or whatever, how many people could we also pull on the radio station doing PSAs on a steady diet? And it was about the same. It was what and what. So you could, and that's part of what I argued within the ACORN councils for why we should spend the time and money to do community radio is that it was, uh, people wanted that voice. They heard people. I mean, it was a way to talk to people. We didn't, and what I think our friends and, and comrades and the rest of the community radio movement didn't really appreciate in the 1970s and 80s when we were first getting involved in this is that we certainly were open to any kind of music, any kind of show that had an audience. We weren't going to privilege the host, we were going to privilege the audience because what we were interested in is that minute or two every hour in which you could yeah, talk sure. to them about other issues um, or listen to what they had to say about other issues. And that was our interest, not stopping people from listening to Tibetan music. If there was an audience for Tibetan music, damn, we wanted it on. I mean, if there was an audience for, and as you know, I mean, KNON became the, you know, avatar for Tejano music and one kind of, I mean, for gospel music. Well, many of formats that had never been heard exactly about. i mean we were the first station in arkansas kbf to have any spanish language broadcasting now there are you know multiple stations that are only spanish but you know so we we were a collective we were you know uh, ecumenical on that issue and that's what people didn't understand they thought we were going to be one sort of voice about no we're the voice we want all as many they people were, as that we're interested in the ears we're the audience yeah. was they thought you were in control program. Yeah, we organized people. And yeah. so to the degree that we saw that community radio could help organize people, we were there from hello. And then to the degree you could actually listen to p people and what they cared about and uh, have a voice during political campaigns where people could speak what their interests were. Um, that was all. So Acorn left the programming to the people at the radio stations and asked for the PSA content, for the organizing. I mean, and had you and I were on the same team for many years. And if, if uh, you can come up with one example where I ever called you and said, Dave, I want to make sure XYZ kind of programming is on KNON, I bet that never happened. But if you would have had a good idea, I'd consider it. I mean, if you wanted to do a, I mean, a, we a had a show. we had a local one hundred show. We could say whatever on local one hundred wanted on that yep. show. We had an Acorn show. Acorn could say whatever. I mean, and when we needed, uh, when we said, "Can we do a PSA to try to hire new organizers?" We all we had to do was say, "Hey, can we do this, Dave?" And if you wanted to change it, you could change it. But we didn't say you can't do this kind of music or no, we don't want this this particular show on the air. Um, you know, now that I'm actually, you know, that was all at that point uh, uh, before 2008 when I left Acorn, I was, you know, 30,000 feet above, you know, the radio stations. Now that I actually manage them, you know, I watch the program a lot more carefully. So, you know, you want to 
have a, a show that supposedly country music and you want to say the South so rise again and let's get the rebel ground. No, you're not going to be on the air. I'm sorry. I mean, there's other places for you to be. We're a total community radio. We're not going to have... For all the people. For all, it's the voice of the people, not the voice against the people. And you can choose. I mean, if that's what you want, I mean, you should do it. And if you want to, you know, proselytize, I mean, I mean, if you looked at the time from the late 70s to now in terms of religious broadcasting, that's, we have gospel shows. We believe in gospel music, yep. old gospel, new gospel, whatever it is. We're good for that. But if you want to read the daily, you know, prayer and you want to spend 20 minutes of your hour show proselytizing people, I mean, that's, there are other stations that you're better suited for. Um, there's a lot of them. And there's a lot of them. I mean, yeah, in fact, I might say there's too many. I mean, those it's, are the voice at the people, not the voice of the people. But regardless, I mean, so yeah, you know, you have to... Now that I'm having to actually manage a station, I have to watch the programming more carefully and, you know, but not to restrict voices, uh, no, but to just make sure you want it voice. still is a voice of the people, so, which is, I bet, what you have to do. So going back to KCHU going dark, filing to put KNON on, um, Arquilla Smith and Leon Gollins, who um, were still there when I started. Yeah. What was the first official act that got the movement to putting Canawan on the air? Was it the filing with the... I mean, we had to file, but we had... You can't just file. You have to go back on the air. So we had to put together the equipment and the money to pay for that equipment to actually have a signal again. So you had to be back on the air before you could file as Canawan? No, we filed simultaneously that we had been off the air... Here's, here's our excuses, here's our problems. I mean, here's why, mighty FCC, we want you to forgive us, and we're back on the air again. And that's when you told the FCC of the new call letters were, were going to be KNON. Right, because we didn't have a choice. If you'd been off the air as long as we'd been off the air, you couldn't claim to still be KCHU, even though we were claiming that frequency. And then the FCC also put us through the procedure because there was a filing against us. Who was there for the planning stages? You've mentioned Arquilla, Leon. Well, Terry Andrews was key at that point. You know, I can't remember when Liz Wolf came into the scene, but it wouldn't have been too much later than that. Uh, she may have been around, but you know, the I you know Terry Andrews was actually the the spark plug behind. Where that. was the planning done? We had bought a building for Acorn over in, I can't remember the address, San Vicento. 4415 San Jacinto. Okay, so San Jacinto. I can remember that. Address. Yeah. And we bought it for a dime, I mean, 10 or 15 grand, and, you know, on a deal where you paid month by month until you owned it. And that was something Steve Holt had found, and uh, we thought it was, you know, sort of in the middle of where the neighborhoods were. So, we had a way when we started trying to get it back on the air to say, okay, this part of the building will be where we put a studio. And um, we still knew where the old equipment was. And there was, it wasn't like anybody had taken the case. K2 was on Maple or something. Yes, it was on Maple. Right. 
Boy, it's amazing. At least I don't have dementia yet. Uh, so we're getting this at you're, the right you're time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the hell an artichoke is still, obviously. You can tell <laughs> I haven't eaten many, many since that day. But not make much of an impression on you, that artichoke. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a cinch. I never bought myself an artichoke steamer and, you know, ordered five from the grocery store and ate them in the future. I mean, now if somebody puts it in front of me, I know what to do. Yeah, um, but you, I'm not. You play along. Yeah, I play along, but I don't like, you know, go across the street to find one. Let's just say it like that. But anyway, so KCHU, KCHU had been on Maple. They, you know, rented or bought the entire building. I don't know what he'd done, but he had a lease on it. So they had to, you know, get somewhere. And I think, I don't remember how Terry finagled us or whatever. Maybe we'd ended up with a lot of the equipment when it went off. Uh, that may have been moved over to San Jacinto. Um, but regardless, once we sort of bogart, I mean, I can't believe that's what happened because... We didn't get the equipment. No. Yeah, that didn't happen. We had garbage because when we went on. Because they were... I mean, I imagine Lorenzo took the equipment and put it in another station. I think that's exactly what yeah. happened. Uh, no, we didn't, we didn't get trucked it. Trucked it out. Once the plan was hatched and the planning at San Jacinto was happening... How did you organize the execution of that plan as far as getting the staff and how did you corral all the people to, that it took? There was a guy who had been an organizer for us uh, in Fort Worth and New Orleans, whatever, um, who was originally from uh, Canyon City or whatever, a little town below Amarillo uh, near Palo Duro Canyon, if you know that area of Texas. Jeff, Jeff Murray was his name. And uh, he had been trained as a barber, uh, which I, I always loved that story. I think he'd gone to community college or college or something like that, but his parents believed he needed a trade and made sure he had a trade as a barber. So he was probably the only barber to ever be an organizer with Acorn. And the way I collect Because he could cut it. He could cut hair, you know. If there was ever a bad time, he could. He wouldn't starve to death. He'd, you know, get his scissors out and roll. But anyway, so I know in the early days we moved him over to be a manager at some point because uh, Terry was still running the organizing operation, which was big at that time. So, and he was managing the board side of the governance side of Jeff hired me. Okay, so you yeah. remember Jeff's name? Yes. Okay. And I think he originally hired you just to sell underwriting or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, he gave me a radio show, and and I, I just went out and sold the underwriting anyway. So I want sports station, and I put together events, right? Just because they needed to happen, and I loved the music, and I wanted to see them happen. And, and what I, year was that? I volunteered in '86. I got a radio show in '87. So we'd been on the air for several years by then. We were on the air. We went on there in '83, so we'd been on the air three years. So, what what's uh, what we need better memories? Uh, you know, it's a shame my brother passed away because his memory—he uh, was the historian of all these things that aren't written down. But so if if, if Kachu went off the air, let's say seventy-seven, seventy-eight, it may have been off the air a year or two, um, and then even while we're trying to get back on the air, we have the whole problem with with uh, FCC, so we probably weren't, we obviously- Five years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so it took some time. And 
uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news for the listeners here, we didn't exactly win that case. I mean, we didn't lose everything, but we ended up, because we've been off the air and dark so long, we ended up having to make a deal where we gave the, frequencies. the better frequency went to Criswell. You know, so much for the good uh, charitable Southern Baptist tradition. Uh, so, at the time, what other organizations were involved with helping us get on the air? You know, it was, uh, I don't remember any. I mean, there was, uh, I mean, I'm sure the organizational community was not large in Dallas at that time. You had Bodart Patriots were around there somewhere. They didn't last too long, but they did some housing stuff. Um, you had... Uh, very small, uh, you know, not much infrastructure or community organization whatsoever. I mean, we... How was the funding rates? You know, we built the station in Tampa on a canvas. Um, and uh, we had, uh, I think we probably used a canvas. Uh, you know, canvas is a door knocking program in middle upper middle income communities. Uh, we definitely were running a canvas throughout that period in Dallas. So the, it was a door-to-door. So I can't remember exactly whether or not we used that, uh, but it's likely that we did. So story. Acorn had money. So we may have just paid the bills uh, at the minimal level mm -hmm. we needed to sort of get the equipment and whatever. Um, we had, we were, you know, buying the building, the building, as, as you remember, you know, barely made it past condemnation, you know, for years and years. Uh, um, so there wasn't a high expense in terms of property. You had to pay the, you know, you had to pay the telephone bill on the line going out to the tower, and you had to pay the tower rental and whatever was out there. But a lot of it was just begged, borrowed, and stolen. Um, and once we were back on the air, uh, you know, there were events. There was, you know, underwriting, as you were knew from your time. I think your coming in sort of made the underwriting program work, but there were certainly pledge drives and stuff like that uh, even before then. So it was a low-cost operation other than probably Jeff or whoever was acting as a manager, fundraiser, jack-of-all-trades. That was probably the only payroll that was involved. So when KNON wasn't making, its, making enough, to pay its own bills, Acorn just kicked in and well, that was whole. yeah, that was how I ended up managing KBF again after two thousand and eight. KNON sort of grew and prospered so that it was you know self sufficient in terms of not needing Acorn to bail it out. KBF never was that way. So how I ended up five or six years ago starting to manage. KBF is when they were so desperate they were thinking about trading their license and a damn small amount of money. The KBF story, they went on the air at 84. They filed. The year after us. Right. They filed in 78 for the license and then we're in a dispute with the FCC because once we filed for the 100,000 watts, the UALR station, which is KAR. K-U-A-L-R. I mean, I can't remember what they're like. K-U-A-L-R. Yeah, something like, yeah. They only had 40,000 watts or something, and they were just so ticked off that we had gotten 100,000 watts, they tried to file on our frequency to see if they could 
get us to give them a hundred thousand and take. So uh, how I ended up going, you know, driving now to Arkansas ten or eleven times a year for two or three days to manage the station is the board was so desperate they were out of money. Acorn had always paid the bills, paid the staff, whatever they was a shortfall, and you knew that from mm -hmm. you know. The way AMFM worked, every station was supposed to put in to the pot for that to happen, and KBF was never really putting into the pot. And so they were at the point of desperation where the board had a conversation about whether or not to approach ULR about, you know, trading the frequency and enough money to pay their debts and whatever. And it's that point that I said, okay, look, you know, I'll manage the station on a contract and see if we can keep that from happening. Don't fight forever for the frequency and give away a 100,000-watt station. You don't want to do that. That's, I think that's a, like the 11th commandment or something like that. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, like, I it's, mean, it's, 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 it's it was somewhere sense. on a stone. Maybe somebody didn't see it, but, I mean, you and I would have read it. I mean, it would have been right there under, you know. Right there. Yeah, the no, the under no adultery or something, yeah. it would have been never give away a 100,000-watt station. <laughs> I mean, I know it. Um, so the studio on San Jacinto, that was located, the first studio, in a closet upstairs? Likely. And then I mean, I, did... Even if I did remember, I don't know if I'd admit that, but... Yeah. <laughs> it's, we we, we of, have proof. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'm not going to get it. I, I mean, I know you, the storage was up in the attic, right? Isn't that where we kept all the old... Yeah, I had crawled around that attic many times. Yeah, yes. I even had to crawl there once or twice. But Who was the first engineer? Do you remember? <sighs> mm, uh, you know, and I should because they did, a, they did us a solid. I mean, it was... Uh, I mean, we found engineers uh, through Jeremy Lansman and then... Um, there was a guy in New Orleans, Anita Softness was an organizer for us a number of places, and she ended up marrying the guy, uh, but he actually helped us find an engineer, and I don't remember what the name was at this point. So, thinking but he about... he was a saint, I'll tell you. We've, we've had some engineering saints. We've yeah, been very fortunate. all of us have, yeah. So, with all of the things that we've discussed on the start of KNON, what was the biggest hurdle? I mean, the biggest hurdle was right at the beginning with the Creswell fight. That was a life and death struggle. I mean, we'd broken every FCC rule you can break. Uh, having been off the air, certainly if they had a little bit more to them, they could have figured out that the revival had been sort of maybe not drawing, you know, by numbers correctly. I mean, I mean, we just sort of breathed air into something dead and said, here we are and we'll go and got away with it. Um, and sort of until I'm talking right now, I don't know if I've ever, you know, admitted that, but that's the way it happened. Terry Andrews, God love him, um, worked for us for a decade and he passed away very young uh, in Fairfield, Connecticut somewhere. Uh, so he knew this story, I knew this story, and probably if you asked if Arquilla was still alive and Leon was still alive, I'm not sure they even realize exactly what we were pulling off here. Um, but the Criswell fight was, uh, was terrible. We could have lost everything. Uh, and Criswell's position was we should lose everything. There was no, no real rule in the FCC that said they would have to trade. And it was only, and he had deep pockets. I mean, he could have uh, strung us out forever. 
Um, so in the Criswell fight, during that fight, Jeff and Craig Taylor organized a parade to support the station. Were you... Did I mean, you I've seen all the pictures, but yeah, I wasn't there for it. But. Okay, okay. That, that, that was an amazing moment in our history. It was huge. Yes, it was. It was very huge. I think there were more than a thousand people, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like five thousand people. Yeah, it was. You know. So we got on the air July thirtieth, nineteen eighty-three. Were you there in the days leading up to that? No, and I don't know at what level we went on the air in terms of power. Oh, it was one hundred thousand watts. Nine, ten watts. Yeah. And this was part of what Criswell and them used, is that we we really didn't have the machinery to get up to 100,000 watts for quite a while. No. So what was on the first K-1 schedule? Did you know, or you guys just were I mean, it was block on? programming. Yeah. Uh, so it was people who'd been on before who, I mean, some of them we found, some of them we... You know, it's amazing what you can do now in 2020 with software. When it was turntables then, there was no mm -hmm. software. It was all you know, seat of your pants, and you know sometimes people staying on forever, and you know. What was the biggest issue to keep keep Canawan on during the first year? Yeah, I wish I knew where Jeff was and some of those people, but I mean, it really was just paying the bills, and and the hoopty equipment we had was always breaking down. So I mean. Even though you were on the air, you weren't necessarily on the air 24-7. Who stands out to you as being instrumental in that first year? I just don't think there would have been a KNON without Terry Andrews. He was uh, a person very well organized on the details. Uh, I never asked him to do something that he bucked at or didn't try to make happen. Uh, he worked, you know, 18 hours, 16 hours a day. He had no life other than doing whatever we needed done. And he was just a, you know, very level, solid personality, no, no drama. Um, what was the most important decision in the first year? You know, I don't remember any specific one that stayed. I mean, we, rebuilding was just basically that slow process that you know so well. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I had to take four years of high school Latin, so very few people have had uh, work with me for a long time. Uh, repetitio est mater studiorum. You know, repetition is the mother of study. So you have to, you know, and block programming actually helps in this because if you kept repeating it and if it was high quality, eventually you build, we believed you'd build an audience. and. Uh, we also, because of our special emphasis on having shows that resonated with that constituency of lower income, uh, minority uh, uh, demographic, I mean, you know, there was no other place you could really hear gospel music or some of the other kinds of music we were talking about. And it, it helped build a base and it helped bring forth people who were willing to to be volunteers and well, some of the best music, I've often told people, comes out of the low to moderate income community. Absolutely. I mean, jazz, I mean, we could go on and on. Well, the experience of music is so often born out of 
it's the human experience. There's not an emotion a human being's ever experienced that hasn't been expressed in song. And the wealth of emotions related to struggle being poor yeah the struggle yeah blues and soul and whatever it's yeah i mean right next to the the strong emotions of love that that drive drive creativity and music so i always would share with people that our mission's to serve the low to moderate income community and it so happens to be it's that same community that the best music you can imagine is being brought forth from right. so so we're at we're right there bringing that because that's who we're serving and we served it well i mean i mean you can remember or certainly you know this i mean all of a sudden we would show up in these surveys in dallas in terms of uh, arbitron or whatever and in certain periods like you know gospel or whatever we would be one of the ranking shows in that entire market and for a time slot and so, I mean, we stumbled through to a certain degree. I mean, it wasn't like anybody had deep radio experience. Um, and, you know, there were characters, as always, who built an audience. I mean, there was, I mean, I used to have a cup from a redneck something. Super Roper Redneck Review. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think that cup finally broke. Or I, I probably have it uh, somewhere still. But, uh, you know. You still we, have that format on. Uh, we've different person for, for di sure. different different DJs uh, many of them though that were part of the original format it's now Texas Renegade Radio and it continues to be a leader in exposing artists within and now that now there's a name for what they do it's called Americana right I but see. they were doing it yeah. it's country and more it's just roots of good american music that that the commonality is it's country but uh, you know so i asked alexa more. to play it regularly so yes yeah, so american anyway but do you remember who's on the first canoe and board of directors not leon aquila i, I know, know the two of them and i i wish i you know tried to i wish i'd had more time i tried to remember the he was a legal aid lawyer at the time and then later on was in this he was important. He was out. He wasn't working for legal aid uh, uh, at the point we're, we're talking. I think I, had, I know who you're talking. I can't remember that. Yeah, but he he, <laughs> he was actually show. very helpful doing free legal work until we had to pay. You know, Lorenzo had a firm out of D.C. that uh, Baker, Baden and Potts, or something like that, or uh, that he always used to. John Kruger. Huh? Does John Kruger? That's one, but there's another guy uh, who we used as well, who I ran into recently, still part of the firm on, on one of these station fights that we were involved with. But, I, you know, I didn't hear much from him. I'm sure we still owed him money at some point. You know, they, they'd call it a Probably pro bono rate, and the rate would still be enough to crush a horse. I mean, it would <laughs> still be, you know, oh, here's their pro bono rate for your FCC lawyer in D.C., and still be like 150 or $200 an hour or something. And during all those fights... That, that that we had all those lawyers I mean we there was a lot of lawyers involved in fighting to keep the license yeah Canon didn't pay for any of those lawyers well we paid but acorn paid yeah oh yeah but it wasn't Canon at that time as barely getting going it didn't yeah, have the no, money Canon didn't have any money but it was an uh, investment in the future and it paid off yeah 
Well, thanks, Acorn. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't know if anyone ever said that. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's all good. I'll say it now. Yeah, there you go. Well, you're welcome. And uh, thank you for keeping it going. I mean, still it's, alive. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, uh, you know, there are now more books. I mean, we have a Voice of the People station in KOCH in Nairobi. We're applying for one in Uganda uh, right now that's called Radio Acorn. You know, we have WAMF. And there, you know, you you can figure out how those initials, uh, AMF, Affiliated Media AMF, Foundation Movement. Yeah, I mean, so. Were, were you at the, the first board meeting? No. And um, when did Kanoans start doing pledge drives? I think very quickly. I mean, but I couldn't swear to it. But I'm sure we did a regular. I mean, I don't know how many we did, but. I mean, that's part of why you had cups and T-shirts and, you know, all the sort of swag that goes with them is because people were trying to raise money through their shows, and that's how you kept on the air. Who was the first KNON station manager? I, I want to say it's Jeff Murray, but I'm, I'm not sure. Too many years, Dave. Yeah. Too many well, years. Well, a lot of people, a lot of years. It took you a long time before you were willing to be station manager, wasn't it? No, it took me a long time before they give it to me. They, they, they kind of had reservations about giving it to the long-haired heavy metal radio DJ with holes in his jeans. But eventually, I hung around long enough and got the keys. Well, you know, Dale and I were always confident you could uh, be a station manager. So, I mean, it was never a question that you wouldn't be one. But, yeah, you know, I do remember that people... And some of the organizers weren't necessarily the biggest, you know, advocates in the beginning, you know, but... Uh, you have to pay your dues. You have to pay your dues and you have to be able to bring in the dollars. And, uh, you know, part of, part of what, you know, some of the organizers never understood, they understood it when they had to do with membership dues or paying for their operation, but you, you can't get away from the fact that these are nonprofits that run on money. They don't run just on love or, you know, this, that, and the other. And, uh, underwriting has turned out to be, in many cases, I mean, in many cases, more powerful than pledges. I mean, I don't know. Pledges are probably still Pledges are for the most powerful fundraising for KNON. That, that's certainly what has made us endure is the donations from our listeners. But that's a problem that KBF has had, is it because they weren't as strong on pledges and counted more on Acorn, you know, sort of being the, the sugar daddy there. Um, they do okay on pledges, but what's made the difference in terms of being self-sufficient is the fact that we've been able to get more underwriting and partnerships, as we call them, that, you know, pay the bills on a more regular basis than just... Do you think Dallas took Kanoan seriously at the beginning? I don't think anybody took it seriously at the beginning. Not Dallas, not Fort Worth, not, not anybody. But uh, certainly over the years, that grew. Uh, both in the radio community as as they tried to hire, you know, people who had been volun volunteer DJs into being full-time, you know, within those genres uh, on different radio stations. I mean, and the alternative press was good for us. I mean, I mean, you mentioned that before we were, you know, mic'd up about... Uh, Dallas Observer gave us the yeah. best radio station for Music Award 2020. But even, be, I mean... but. We were, I mean, the fact that they would give us publicity for different things we would do and publicize our events and whatever, I mean, 
uh, having other alternative media sources willing to support K, you know, KNON helped. Yeah. Yeah. What were the hopes for KNON at the beginning? You wanted the biggest audience possible and you wanted it to be a tool for social change. And as a partner to a community of organizing operation, uh, that was essential. Um, ACORN, you know, starting uh, certainly from 2010 on, had its own, you know, struggles as uh, it sort of was not able, I mean, there's sort of a successor organization, Texas Organizing Project, but I don't think its relationship with KON has stayed the same as, as we originally designed it to be. Um, Local 100 is still in the, the Dallas market. Um, but so, you know, KON has been able to create a place for itself uh, within that community, separate now from the, the sort of amalgamation of, of family organizations. And that's too bad, that, uh, but it's still good that there is a KON. So knowing what you know now, would you do it again? Absolutely. As, and we have. I mean, and not long ago you said, wait, I don't know. Uh, you might want to listen to this, uh, uh, this thing. They're talking about opening the window for new stations. And you didn't say you're one of the few people I know crazy enough to maybe apply for a new station. But <laughs> implicit in that, you, you send me that link. And damned if I didn't listen to every... I listened to an hour. They were supposed to cut it off after an hour. Um, so you listen to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... Uh, so you haven't learned your lesson? No, because I, uh, I think the lesson that I may have learned is that I'm intrigued by what we're able to do in New Orleans uh, with a low-power station. I mean, it's not a KON, it's not a KBF. We don't have that listenership. But you're able to be on the air fairly inexpensively. And... I think, uh, you know, we have 2,500 watts that we're helping manage up in Greenville. So I think we'll look more for medium-sized markets. I mean, you're still a veteran of when we applied, you know, for full power stations in 100 different markets and didn't have enough money to fight the FCC challenges and made some deals on time sharing, which we couldn't live through and cashed well, out in other cases. But let's, uh, let's talk about Wade Rathke and Community Radio because... You, you do remain involved, and, and all joking aside about the beatings that, that you take in starting these, how many community radio stations did you help start with, with ACORN? Uh, you know, we certainly, WMNF, certainly, KBF, KNON, uh, now WMNF. So in the U.S., only about a half a dozen, um, and there's some... You know, people like Mac England, who is a station manager for us uh, in Little Rock, started running Flagstaff under low power. There are other people. There's a Fayetteville station, which is former Acorn. You know, so some of the people got the bug back then. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to see now that Acorn works more internationally, certainly we're looking where there are opportunities in uh, countries like Uganda and Kenya and elsewhere uh, to have voice to the people's stations because they're, I mean, radio is still a primary medium there. It's not, you know, people might argue that radio is secondary now in the U.S., but it's still primary in many places as a communication, education, information. I mean, you don't have Internet. Uh, well, radio is still free. It is free, and, if you, and you can get on with smartphones. I mean, 
we just had to spend, you know, some money getting, you know, a wireless signal into the radio station in, in the Korogochu slum where we are. But, I mean, here's the reality. You're broadcasting at 25 watts to 400,000 people. You know, I'm willing to spend some money to do that. That's a good um, reach. That's a good reach, and uh, that's equivalent to the reach we have with WAMNF uh, at 100 and whatever watts we are now, and because it's flat as a pancake. Now, if we can find, you know, if we find opportunities like that in markets where we have other organizational interest, it's, these are partnerships that are invaluable. So the low-power FM opportunities are where your no, we'll look at full power, too, but it'll be full power, you know, in areas where there's less competition. I mean, when we, when we did all of our applications in the 90s or wherever that was, we were applying in every big city we worked in. But I think, you know, there are full power opportunities. I'm betting, I could be wrong, that you'll see full power opportunities in places like maybe Shreveport or Alexandria or... Tyler, Texas, or, you know, markets that aren't as competitive and there's going to be priorities in the grading system where there's, you know, no more than one or two existing non-commercial stations. So have you thought about doing stream stations? You know, Acorn Radio is obviously nothing but stream. Um, and we're trying to, I mean, there we're hurting cats because we're trying to get all of the affiliates to do shows Content. and... Yeah, to do content and, you know, clearly software is saving us, you know, and you can, it's a lot more practicable to think about, you know, the community radio movement with good software, frankly, and the internet, uh, because you can stream and you can, you know, you can satisfy the FCC with eight hours or more of local content while you're still providing high quality content that you're being able to cherry pick among you know, a half dozen stations for what their best one is. And in some cases, we have a great show that's a half hour called Hashtag, which is done by two young people. Uh, one's in Johannesburg and one's in uh, Durban, South Africa. And they contacted KBF. They wanted to figure out a way to, you know, do something with radio. And they originally proposed they'd come over and be trainees. And I said, why don't you instead just... You're doing a show over there? Do a show. What kind of show are you doing? Well, you know, Beyonce. And I said, well, I, I don't. If you, can you do a show of South African music? Because if you do a show of South African music, I'll put it on every station. Well, they now do. They, these kids are just hot as a pistol. I mean, they do great South African music now, and they've got great personalities, and we get the show on Dropbox, and I put it on all of our stations, and it's popular. Yeah, it's the voice it's a, of the people. It's a voice of the people. So <laughs> worldwide, uh, yeah, you know, and that's the power of the internet. They listen to it. I mean, I just had to send them a note uh, the other day because we're, you know, we've got a pain, you know, good underwriting programs, so and we have to move them up, you know, an, a, a half hour to another, you know, time slot because they sit there and listen to it at 9 o'clock or so. They have all their friends and their social media people listen to it in South Africa. So they've gotten... They're, they're getting numbers. They're getting their numbers. And, I, you know, I like, I like the fact that you can do... You can magnet... I mean, radio is a huge megaphone for 
music and opinions that aren't heard. And, and relatively speaking, for the ears you're buying, it's cost-effective. So let's wrap up with a look at the stations you're involved with and maybe get a story or a reflection on each one. Starting back to KCHU, which was the first station that you were involved with. Yeah. And I think you shared with us a little bit about, you first heard about that from Dallas Acorn Organizers. Right. What was your takeaway from that experience just overall as far as the whole perspective of bringing people together like that? We believe, you know, the, the key thing we took away from the KCHU experience is that it is important how you manage a station. That the, the host, uh, you know, it, at KBF we probably have 98 different hosts, 95, something like that. I'm sure KNON has that many, if not more, uh, once you talk about, to, you know, sharing and everything else. But as a volunteer army that you're trying to manage, that takes a lot of time and interest, but you have to have clear, you have to have clarity for people on their side to know what your expectations are, and you have to have clarity for what gets you on and off the air. And if you don't have that, you're not able to survive. And we learned that at KCHU, because it wasn't like people were, people believed in community radio, they believed in sort of the Lorenzo vision of a million voices, maybe more than the voice of the people. Um, but none of the, you know, that era of community radio, uh, which was highly contested in a number of stations where, you know, different groups would try to take control of the stations. There was all 60s, that whole 60s scene mm -hmm. was rough on community radio. And, uh, you know, that's a lesson that you, I mean, he was smart enough to know that he couldn't manage it, and he was smart enough to teach us that management did matter. Not that we had the play, perfect playbook or didn't make mistakes or whatever else, but KCHU taught us that, you know, you can lose everything if you aren't clear on the bottom line and clear about and transparent on how you're going to govern and run a station. And from KCHU to KNON, what at this point is your biggest takeaway from KNON and, and where it was and where it is today? I mean, I think, you know, per persistence and discipline is just, you know, invaluable. Uh, the fact that we were willing to, to see a long-term vision for KNON uh, made it possible to resuscitate it and believe that it was worth the effort, worth the expenditure, and that it would, in fact, make it be self-sufficient. And, you know, everything has a different sort of level in which water, you know, rises or falls. So, I mean, without a doubt, KNON has been by far the most successful of the stations we've continued to have a role in. KBF is sort of self-sufficient now at about 100000 a year, I would bet. You what know, do you see in the future for KBF? Uh, you know, John Kane has been of the, we've been on the air since uh, 84, so 36 years. He's probably been on. He's a legend. 80, you know, since 85, he's 82 or 83 himself. Uh, so I wonder when he was not going to be able to get up the stairs to the second floor of the building on Main Street. So part of what, you know, is the challenge for uh, KBF is just how it sees itself for another 20 years. Um, 
you know, we've solved some big problems. They didn't, they didn't pay, you know, tower rent to the landowner for years. And so that was a, a, a mountain that. to climb uh, that I discovered that I became the manager and we're still paying off the debt. I remember you telling me about that, and I was kind of amazed at how calm you were because just hearing it as a station manager, I was kind of shocked. <laughs> well, I wasn't happy to find it, uh, but you know, it's one of the things, Dave. One of the things that I tell everybody, and if I haven't told you, you're gonna hear it. You're gonna hear it now. So compared to what I do for a real living, for you know, what's been my work, my life work. I find managing radio stations sort of hilarious in their own ways. I mean, these are all volunteers, but they all, you know, are entitled. They treat their little space of the airwaves as if it's a precious pearl. And uh, so, I, you know, and the issues they find so life and death are so not life and death compared to the rest of the work I do. So it's their time slot, or do they have a an hour show or a half hour show or, you know, do they this or that? You know, organizing a union, people lose jobs. They lose houses. I mean, you know, organizing with ACORN, people live and die on some of the issues, literally, that we fight on, uh, environmental or economic, you know, their uh, very survival and nothing is clearer than this time of COVID and pandemic and uh, worldwide depression. I mean, we... We have a union of 50,000 street vendors, hawkers in Bengaluru, India, who live on their daily livelihood. If they can't sell, they don't eat. And all of a sudden, you're locked down. You... So those are problems. How to, you know, at one point in Delhi, out of our migrant centers, we were doing 7,000 meals a day out of kitchens. We never had to do that. I mean, so those are problems that, you know, Pretty big problems. You can wake up at 2 in the morning and scream on some of that stuff. The radio station, their problems are big, but they're relative to uh, people. And the problems that you're dealing with. People I'm dealing with every day and whether or not you win or lose or people go to jail or people are arrested or people eat or people have a house over their, you know, roof uh, over their houses. I mean, all you have to do is keep on the air. That's, a, that's almost a financial problem. I mean, you can, and now with software, if you have, you pay the license, you can pay the utility bill. I mean, you can, uh, you can solve almost all those problems with a little bit of, you know, elbow grease and, you know, some work. Um, and, uh, and, I th and it's good people. Uh, it's, they're fun. It's, you know, the problems they have are funny. I mean, they're characters. Uh, uh, so I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't drive up there and back with a smile on my face. But while I'm at the stations, it's, you know, I got a smile on my face as people come, you know, because part of what <laughs> I almost made the mistake of saying part of what they pay me for, but since they don't pay me, so you know, <laughs> it's it's a volunteer army, but um, they, you know, somebody has to be the person who says no. Somebody has to be the person who says no. yes, and. Uh, you know that at, at KNON. Well, I mean, the problems they were having at KBF and many of these stations is somebody who can say yes and no, and that's something I now know. I'm, I know how to do that. And I also enjoy learning more about radio and whatever. I mean, I, 
There's a little low power station in Jonesboro, KLEK, that we've sort of partnered with, and I interviewed him on my radio show the other day. I enjoy doing a radio show. It's a, it's a different experience as well. But, you know, getting him to explain how you, you know, he they'd had a thousand-person Black Lives Matter march in Jonesboro, and he was the only media there. And he was broadcasting it live using his his little Apple iPhone and FaceTime Live or something, right into software and putting it on the air. Well, I thought that was fascinating. That's a real tool for organizing. Uh, I've got people who are organizers with me, you know, on the job to learn how to do that because that's valuable. That's the advent of new technologies. And, you know, I'm, I'm old as dirt now. I've been in this work, you know, a long time. Look at the years we're talking about, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know. Now it's 2020. Uh, Acorn's 50 years old. Uh, um, I, you know, I found it fascinating to have to learn, you know, new things about this. Uh, the other day I was up in Little Rock and was leaving the station 6 or 6.30 or whatever. I got about, you know, three blocks away. I have it on my radio. I heard nothing. So I don't rook the board. You know, somebody, there's always somebody. All of a sudden I have to do a U-turn on South Main, drive back to the station, go up there. Nobody's there. The software's not working. And how to figure out how to get us back on the air. So, so they just left the studio. I don't know exactly what happened. <laughs> you know, and that's... People... I've had those moments. Yeah, you know, where you're sitting there looking at the screen saying, uh, do I push this button or that button? I thought I, I've told people a million times, just the green button on playlists. So, you know. But uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It, and it's so important to people. And it, and it, it improves our power. It improves people's lives. People love it. People enjoy it. It's, uh, well, I think the radio greatest... Radio is a good thing. The greatest thing of community radio is the people. Absolutely. Are the people that, for whatever reason, they come in and they do that show. And they're committed and they come in every week at that time. And I know at KNON, we take our pledge drive very seriously. So you, it's humbling to get on the air and beg for that money. And you really, that's when it tests your commitment. You really have to be committed to the station, to your program, and convinced that it's worth something monetarily to others. And, and you have to have the nerve to ask them for it. And that's, that's the gauntlet down. Well, and it's, it's critical to the culture in KNON, and it's the critical problem in the culture of KBF. So... For so many years, they didn't have that. And, uh, that's changing culture in, a, in any organization is hard, and on a radio station, it's critical. And so when you asked me before, what do I envision? I mean, I worry about KBF, whether or not we have enough time and the sequence to get that job done so that the station can thrive in the future. Because these are permanent institutions. They're important institutions, absolutely. They're important and they're permanent. I mean, there could be there'll be radio frequencies a hundred years from now when people will be trying to say, what kind of software can you use to hear whatever Dave and Wade and everybody was talking about then? Well, you know, who knows? But uh, you know, these are 
these things aren't going away, but you have to figure out a way that they can survive. So WMNF in Tampa, what, what was the hard lesson learned there? We lost control of governance there. You know, we, had, we sent two people in. We had a person working for AMF, uh, uh, MFM here in New Orleans who we sent to help uh, work at the station. She was a partner of a guy who was running our training program. And because of this curious way that we had constructed the, the board there, we didn't. We had a number of seats, but we didn't have the majority. Uh, we didn't appoint the majority of the board. So um, we just sort of believed that we were all on the same page. And we got we had a person who teamed up with a program manager and sort of executed a coup on the board that they wanted to be the big alternative music station in the Tampa St. Beat area. They didn't want to be a voice of the people. In the same vision, and we had a you know principal disagreement on that. So, you have a low power station now in here in New Orleans. So we, right, we talked a little bit about when did that go on? About three years ago. How has it been doing? It's on the air. That's the important <laughs> thing. That's always the important thing. I mean, it's a project, and it's uh, you know my office is sort of you know ten feet away. Um, so we have some shows that are, are local and pretty good, and we have some shows, like I say, we're running from, you know, KBF or whatever. And it's, uh, we just haven't spent the time and energy to do what we need to do with the station. So it's, it's okay, and people like it, all, but we don't have a big audience, I don't believe. And we haven't sort of, you know, we wanted to do it at the most cost-effective basis, so we, we really need to get another 10 or 20 feet to get the kind of audience penetration we need. But we also need some, you know, I said one of the lessons I learned was about management. I mean, we're managing this out of our hip pocket, and as long as we can pay the bill, we're, bills we're not doing the work to really make it as successful as it needs to be. There's also a very powerful uh, alternative, I mean, uh, community radio scene here, WWOZ. When I talked about KCHU, so we had proposed, you know, uh, a similar kind of that we've been, you know, love to be, you know, involved in that station. And they, having seen what happened in Dallas, they were always very, very hands off. They didn't want anything to do with this. And uh, Walter wanted a station that was, didn't want a station. I mean, one of the big sea changes in community radio is they've come around to the view of understanding that it is important for the stations to allow political voices and people's voices, not just music. And that was very hard for the WWOZ culture. Uh, but the NCFB is very clear now. I mean, they all sort of, and, and there's grassroots radio group or whatever. There's a separate mm -hmm. group of stations. Uh, uh, they're very clear that, you know, how people might have responded in the late 70s and 80s is, was just not right. I mean, you need to... Be, uh, you can't pretend in, in this world not to be able to allow political voices and other voices of people to be on and just say you're all about the music. I mean, we're not The off. music is political in exactly. so many and, ways. And exactly, and that's, I think, part of what they've come to understand as well. But um, 
So in the low power scene, we just, I mean, the Vietnamese station has gone off the air. There's a station called WHIV, which is sort of... Um, How many watts are you at? Whatever it is, 150. 100? Okay. 100. Yeah, I mean, that's, we're at the maximum. Okay. Um, but it's, uh, you know, we just really need to, to pay more attention. And to, uh, we had a group of hosts that were coming on strong and now... The pandemic has, you know, sort of set us. I mean, so we've been on the air two and a half, three years. April first, I guess, is three years coming. So I mean, that's there's some challenges we still need to face. Do you have any advice for a person wanting to start a community radio station? Uh, you know, go find one near you that you can help, because getting a frequency is hard. So if you want to start, I mean, if you wanted to start a community radio station from scratch, it's very difficult to do. That's why these frequencies are so priceless, frankly. I mean, when we talk about these are permanent institutions, you're not going to have another frequency come available at 100,000 watts in, in Arkansas or in at the level you are in Dallas. I mean... So those are, you know, gold mines. In fact, they sell non-commercial frequencies, uh, which is amazing to me. But so, yeah, I mean, the first thing you need to do is find a way to contribute to whatever the community radio station is in your area and see if there's a place that you can be a volunteer and learn the ropes and be value added and help raise. And I think secondly, you better understand it's not Bottom line is about whether or not you can pay the bills, not just whether or not you like the music. Liking the music is key. I've loved the music, you know, listened to it all my life, but that's not what keeps you on the air. That's not what makes the station valuable. Well, thank you for sitting down with me today for this podcast. One last question. What type of music do you listen to? I think I've already confessed I listen to Americana early in the morning before Beth is up and <laughs> around. Uh, they've sort of switched it on me now. They call it Brush Fire and uh, 10 songs, you know, because of the Trump time, about four of them will be, you know, is that the end of the world coming? <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, I'm, you know, Lucinda Williams and uh, Nancy Griffin and, you know, well, you know it's... That's sort of where I've, you know, that's the, more the music. I, I listen to alternative rock as well. My daughter uh, really, you know, got me to start listening more to NPR. So when I listen to uh, people kid me about who's your doctor, my doctor is Dr. Jimmy Stewart uh, at, uh, you know, on Think Radio in Mississippi because when I'm, every month when I go from New Orleans to Greenville, Greenville to Little Rock, I catch his, you know, one-hour show about, you know, health tips, and uh, I've learned a lot from Dr. Jimmy Stewart there. Uh, so I do listen to NPR some on my truck radio. Well, good radio is always worth listening to. That's right. No matter the source. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, just their voices are always the same. You know, if you listen to NPR. I mean, you just <laughs> you just want to kill some of them, but. The, the local, you know, public radio, you know, there's a little bit more diversity. It's not like a KBF or KNON, but they're not just all the same tonal, kill me now. Well, that concludes the beginning of KNON podcast with myself, Dave Chaos, and 
the chief organizer, the chief organizer, <laughs> Wade Rathke. Wade, is there any final word you can leave us with? It's been a pleasure. Keep on rocking. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the beginning of KNON, an interview with Wade Rathke. This is part of a series of podcasts we are putting together to tell the stories behind KNON, the voice of the people. Support KNON now by making your pledge at knon.org. Your support will make more of our podcasts possible. Be sure to note in the comments box the name of this podcast.